Closer Look is a public affairs presentation. Views and opinions of the guests don't always reflect the views of the ministry, and some topics aren't suitable for children. K-Love is committed to community. Closer Look continues with a look at local agencies, events, and issues. Welcome to Closer Look. I'm Kendra Ponzio, and our guest today is Travis Meeks, Prevention Education Coordinator for Project Sanctuary, and we're going to be talking about domestic violence. Welcome, Travis. Thank you so much for having me. It's unusual to find a male in this position, and I love it because it gives us a very well-rounded view of domestic violence. So give us your story. What made you want to get involved in domestic violence? I was always looking for a way to help the community that I'm a part of, and I felt drawn to Project Sanctuary because it's helping people in the worst moments of their life. And uh, you're right in that men are underrepresented in this field. And so I felt like when we only look at the problem from one point of view and we only make it about half of the population, then we're only taking care of half the problem. So being able to, to come at it from a different perspective, I think, adds something of value to the equation. And it probably gives you credibility, too, when you're talking to groups of people because you're a male. Absolutely. And I think that it definitely helps to spread the message to young men as well, which they might kind of shut down otherwise. I do feel like I have a special ability to reach groups and especially mixed groups of young men and young women. Tell us about Project Sanctuary. Give us the history of that. Sure. So it's a nonprofit domestic violence crisis center. We've been operating in Mendocino County for about 40 years. We have a domestic violence shelter where we can house people. Um, it's a safe, secure location. It's secret. So if somebody is fleeing from domestic violence, we can help to keep them safe, keep them secure. We have a 24-hour crisis line. People are able to call and get services from us. We help people get restraining orders. What I do is uh, prevention education. So I go into the schools and go into different facilities, juvenile hall, jail, and give education in those circumstances. We do counseling. We have a full-time therapist. We try to provide wraparound services for all of our clients. What is domestic violence? I mean, I think that we think it's all physical. There are different forms of it. So tell us what domestic violence is in a nutshell. We'll talk about all the services in just a moment. Sure. So domestic violence is complex. It's different in a lot of different scenarios. So we definitely, our minds go to physical violence, but it's so much more than that. It can be everything from, you know, verbal and emotional abuse, somebody constantly saying bad things to you, running you down, destroying your confidence. It can also be something as complex as financial abuse, where you do not allow somebody to have their own access to their own money or their own credit cards. Maybe they don't have their name on the lease of the house or on the car so that they rely on you for everything. And that's where a lot of the biggest problems come from is not from the bruises and the cuts from the physical violence. It's from the long-term damage that's done from somebody holding you back financially, emotionally, spiritually, a lot of times as well. Anything that someone can use against you, they often will in these situations, at least when we're having somebody who's being abused. It's never as simple as this person hit me. It's always more than that. It's always a complex issue where, you know, I don't have anywhere to go because they scared away my family. They scared away my friends. I don't have any money. I don't have, I haven't had a job in 20 years because this person would not let me work. It's a, always a complex issue. It's never simple. 
If you're just joining us, you're listening to Closer Look. I'm Kendra Ponzio, and our guest is Travis Meeks, Prevention Education Coordinator for Project Sanctuary, and we're talking about domestic violence. What kind of stats can you share with us? It's not just women, right? No, so it's definitely both. It's men and women. It's all people experience domestic violence in some way. The statistics we have are a bit skewed towards women, it's honestly because women are, are more empowered to report domestic violence. In our society, we have this idea that men cannot be victims of domestic violence. And so when a man is a victim of domestic violence, they very rarely ask for help. So we do have statistics, but it's, you have to take them with a grain of salt. So we will say that, you know, about one in four women and one in seven men have been victims of, of severe physical violence, strangling, hitting, closed fist hitting, things burning, things that are very severe. It's probably a little bit more common than that for men on the, on the man's side. But again, we just don't know 100%. It's about one in three women and one in four men have, have experienced some form of physical violence, whether that's slapping, shoving, pushing, just grabbing somebody, something that, that makes you feel afraid, something that, that possibly hurts you, but maybe not severe, maybe not a close-fisted punch or, or threatening somebody with a weapon. But um, it's still very common, and it's more common than people think. I think people have this idea that it's only, you know, people who are on drugs. It's only people who are, you know, drinking. It's only, you know, people who are lower socioeconomic status. It happens to everyone. We've had clients who were judges. We've had clients that were police officers. It really affects all stratas of society and both genders as well. What is a common misconception about domestic violence? I mean, like you said, is it, you know, drinking or drugs? Yeah, it's all this idea that we have of the perpetrators. Alcohol is not going to make somebody violent. Someone is going to be violent, and maybe alcohol will facilitate them expressing that more, but it is never the cause of the violence. And to be honest, very rarely is that even a part of the equation. It's just this misperception we have from media and from just our own ideas, I think, of, that we have of people. I think we want to believe the best in people. So we, we just can't imagine that somebody might be capable of hurting their spouse without there being some kind of other factors involved. So there has to be alcohol. There has to be drugs. There has to be some sort of other condition that would cause this. It can't just be someone hurting another person. And I think that that's just incorrect. And, and when people start to realize the, the full extent of the problem, I think that's when we can really move forward and understand that this is a societal problem. This is something that, that truly affects us in a way that people don't truly understand. Like financially, the country suffers tremendous impacts from domestic violence, just from the hospital bills that people accumulate or the lost work that people miss because they have a black eye or because they're not allowed to go to work. It truly is a systemic societal problem, and, and it's something that I hope gets better over time. But in recent, the recent trends have been going the opposite direction, unfortunately. What kind of impact does domestic violence have on kids, on even sleeping infants? So huge. So the, the impact on children who witness violence is huge. It has cognitive impact on especially young children. Like it literally affects brain development in children to witness severe violence or any kind of severe trauma. It will literally impact their brain development. And we know that young men who witness violence 
in the home between, you know, a mother and father or the adults in the house, they are about five times more likely to become victimizers. They're going to commit violence. And we know that young women who grew up in households of violence are about 10 times more likely to become victims. So it has this huge impact both on development, but also on how the children grow into the adults they will eventually become and what they think is normal. So if they grew up with violence in the household, that is normalized for them. So they are going to believe that's what a relationship looks like. And that's really where the work that I do is so important, I believe, because we go to schools, we talk to these children, and we tell them these are what unhealthy relationships look like. And when they hear someone saying these things they grow up around, they see every day, it might be the first time they've ever heard someone say, that's not okay. What you see is not normal. And it can make a huge impact on a kid's life to just have somebody acknowledge that what they are seeing at home is not okay. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Closer Look. I'm Kendra Ponzio, and our guest is Travis Meeks, Prevention Education Coordinator with Project Sanctuary, and we're talking about domestic violence. Travis, tell us a little bit more about your prevention education. You mentioned schools and juvenile hall and jail even. Tell us a little bit more about that side of it. What I get to do, and I feel very blessed to do so, is I get to go into these schools, all the schools in Mendocino County we, we work with, and talk to kids, you know, sometimes one-on-one, sometimes in groups, often in full classroom situations, and just be very honest and frank with them about what healthy and unhealthy relationships look like. And I think that has a huge impact because you'll see some kids, obviously, when you're talking about anything that's that's very traumatic like this. Some kids will just tune out. They're not ready to hear it. They don't want to hear it. And that's fine. But then you'll see some kids, their eyes light up. It's like a light bulb going off of them. They're hearing somebody finally talk about things that they've been experiencing, that they maybe feel alone in. And it really helps us to bridge that gap between these these people that kind of feel lost at sea and the rest of society. So instead of being lost, and being adrift. They can feel like, I have someone who can relate to me. I have somebody who understands what I'm going through. It's really the, the most vulnerable people that, that need this education the most. So when I say juvenile hall, and I, I usually stress the juvenile hall, the jail, because these are the people that are most at risk in our society for becoming victims and becoming victimizers, just statistically, right? And it's not because of the fact that they're, you know, maybe they're in juvenile hall, and it's not because of what they're there for. It's because these are people that statistically probably come from households that are more likely to experience violence, um, just on average. So we try to get in there, we try to, to work with them, and our biggest successes, I would say, have come from those situations, from the juvenile hall, from the jail, working with these young people, and even fully grown adults in this case of the jail. We've had some real success stories from people who have gone from those situations to living totally normal, healthy, accountable lives and being a member of society and not somebody on the periphery of of society. Travis, are there predictors that a person is entering into a potentially abusive relationship? I mean, are there signs that we should look for? Absolutely. Huge, huge red flags that I think, I mean, when you're looking for them, they're going to be so obvious. But the way that domestic violence happens is it happens over time. You know, I, I like to say that when you go on a date with somebody, If they reached across the table and slapped you in the face, you're not going to go on a second date with that person. 
So it's never like this obtuse sign that is like, you know, here I am, I'm violent. It's a little bit more subtle than that. Well, it's a lot more subtle than that, but it's still there. And, and it's things like jealousy. Now, young people, I hear this all the time from young people, they will look at jealousy as, you know, some kind of sign that this person really cares about them. You know, oh, they, they're jealous because they love me so much. When in reality, you know, a little bit of jealousy is normal. And we've all felt that little tug of jealousy when we see our spouse or, or our partner talking to somebody. That's normal to feel that little bit of jealousy. It's not normal to to act on that jealousy in a way that's physical or even, you know, emotional or verbal. It's not normal to let that jealousy consume you. So if jealousy is a huge issue with your partner or the person you're dating, have that talk with them. See where that's going. Be aware of that. Things nowadays that I, that I say is if somebody won't let you have your cell phone, and what I mean by that is they won't let you have that personal space. Like they want to see your cell phone. They want to look at your cell phone. They want to look at your messages. They want to get access to your social media. That is a huge, huge, huge indicator of problems ahead. And anytime I, I talk to young people about this especially, they think there's this kind of normalization that like, oh, well, if I don't have anything to hide, then there shouldn't be a problem. But the reality is it's really more about the control somebody wants to implement over all aspects of your life. And if I can't have this one part that's just for me, then that really is an indicator that there's there's never going to be any part that's just for me. And once somebody takes away your privacy and they take away all of your you know, your personal space, then the boundaries have been crossed. And I think that we're really heading into dangerous territory. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Closer Look. I'm Kendra Ponzio, and our guest is Travis Meeks, Prevention Education Coordinator for Project Sanctuary. We're talking about domestic violence. Travis, why do mostly women, but why do people stay in abusive relationships? What are the reasons? I mean, does shame have anything to do with it? Shame has a lot to do with it. I think that people, when they finally get ready to exit the relationship, a lot of times they've burned a lot of bridges. Family members have given up on on the situation. Their friends are non-existent because in these relationships, your partner becomes the only person that you have any kind of interaction with. That's part of the abuse. Part of the abuse is this isolation that comes from, you know, the, the jealousy, the constant harassment. They don't want to go to a friend's house because they know they're going to get 200 phone calls while they're there, 100 text messages. They're going to get possibly hurt when they go home. So they just stop going to their friend's houses. So oftentimes it's just, I don't have anywhere else to go. It also can be something like financially. I don't have access to money. I don't have access to credit. I've never had an apartment or a house in my own name. I don't have a car. I have kids. I don't have anywhere to take them. But more often than not, the number one reason that people give for staying in these relationships is love. People say, I love this person. You know, I know that what's happening is bad. I know that what's happening is not normal, but I love them. You know, there's some brain science there that that goes behind that. And it, it really comes down to some Stockholm syndrome type behavior where you experience trauma with somebody. Now, whether that person is, is inflicting the trauma on you is really unimportant to your brain. Your brain doesn't know where the trauma is coming from, unlike a a brain science level, right? So your brain just knows trauma. I'm going to release all these chemicals, all this dopamine and serotonin. All these chemicals are, are being flooded into my brain. And I know that this other person is connected to that. 
whether that person is dangerous. It just knows that it's connected. So you really develop this trauma bond with this other person, especially considering that normally the other person is the only person in your life. So you feel this lifeline and this bond that's really based around trauma. And so when someone says, I, you know, I love this person, it's really the, what we would normally say is love, and I'm sure that they do feel that. But there's also some, some real hardwired brain science behind it as well. Tell us about some of the services that Project Sanctuary provides. Sure. I think the number one service that we provide, and the thing that people mostly come for, initially at least, is the restraining orders. Restraining orders are one tool, basically the only tool that someone has to prevent escalating violence if they've left a relationship or if they're being stalked. Um, I think stalking is a huge issue that we don't really talk about in society as much as we should. But it's about one in seven women have been stalked by a partner, by an ex-boyfriend or an ex-husband. And we don't have as many statistics for men, but it's about one in 10 to one in 12 men as well that are stalked by ex-partner. And so restraining order really helps to bridge that gap to safety. And we, we do help with that. And when we help, I mean, we, we really take the lead on it. So somebody will come in, fill out a few papers for us. We take that information, put it into documents for the court, make the court date for them, and actually accompany them to court as well. Because as you can imagine, going into the courtroom with your abuser can be a very traumatic experience in and of itself. So we go there with them and make sure that they get appropriate counseling before and after as well. And then that leads into the counseling, which um, everyone who works for us is a certified crisis counselor. We go through 80 hours of training to be able to give somebody the correct information when they come in and to be able to, to allow somebody to decompress when they, when they come into our office. Like literally everyone from our bookkeeper to our secretaries, they're all, they all take this training just in case they have to answer the phone or they have to interact with somebody. Everyone gets this training. So we're really well suited to help people in these situations. And we have our full-time therapist. Her name is Judy Albert. She's been with us forever. She's amazing. And um, her, her specialty is this, and this is what she has built her whole career on. So there's no one better suited to helping than her. And then what I do, the prevention education, which I think is a vital part of it as well, going in and, and trying to help and work with people before they become a victim, before they become an abuser. Like I was saying before, we offer a shelter so that if people are in, in an emergency, they need to escape right now, we can put them up. And um, that program lasts for about 90 days so people can have a chance to kind of catch their breath and figure out what their next move is going to be, you know, line up housing, line up some kind of work. It's very flexible, you know, obviously at 90 days, if someone is still, still struggling, we're not kicking them out on the street. But typically, they, people stay about three months. If after three months, they don't have anywhere to go, we do have a more long-term housing program as well. It's a transitional housing program that's up to two years. Like I was saying, we have a lot of wraparound services as well that we don't maybe list. But if somebody needs gas or somebody needs some food, we try to help with all those situations. Travis, do you use volunteers? Absolutely. Our crisis line, our 24-hour crisis line, is actually staffed by volunteers after hours. So that if you call any time after 4.30 p.m. and before 8 a.m., uh, you're going to be talking to one of our very well-trained volunteers. They take the same 80-hour training as all of our staff, and we really, really lean on our, on our volunteers to help us to fill the gaps in those hours when we're not in the office. Our program is available for anybody who wants to help out. They can come in, sign up, and we do trainings a few times a year. 
so people can take that 80 hours training. We all pitch in. We have experts come in, help with the trainings. The trainings aren't like a, just like a video. It's us, it's the staff giving these trainings to the volunteers. They're amazingly well-trained. And um, if you are interested in something like that, please call us and, and get involved. We, we're always in need of more volunteers. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we wrap up? I just really appreciate the opportunity to share this message with people who might be listening. If you are in need of help, please don't hesitate to reach out to us. Even if you're not sure, just call and you can talk to somebody. We're here and we're available to listen. And I just don't want anyone that they don't have someone to turn to. You can always turn to us. If you're not sure, just reach out. We're always here for you. Travis, give us your contact information. If anyone does want to talk to you about anything we've spoken about today, what's the best way to go about doing that? So our crisis line number is, is available 24 hours a day. It's, it's probably the best way to get a hold of us. It is 707-463-4357. That's 463-HELP. And our website is projectsanctuary.org. And of course, you can get us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks to our guest, Travis Meeks. For more information on Project Sanctuary, email us at closerlook at klove.com. That's closerlook at klove.com. For Closer Look, I'm Kendra Ponzio. This has been Klove Closer Look. Find us online at klove.com.